It's View from Military Mind for the 7th of March, 2020, where we'll take a look at some important topics from the past week as viewed through the lens of the military mind. Unbiased and definitely not PC. If you're ready, let's move out. On this week's show, we'll be looking at these topics from the past week. The all-male draft system. Unconstitutional? Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals to hear the cases on Tuesday, and we'll take a look and see what they're saying at this point in time. Super Tuesday. Was it so super after all? We'll take a look and see what both sides of the aisle are saying and how they feel about what the outcome was and what we've got to look forward to because we've got a mini Super Tuesday coming up. The coronavirus. To vaccinate or not? Even though a vaccine has not been perfected yet, what do anti-vaxxers think in their stand? And some of the myths and misconceptions that a lot of anti-vaxxers have. And Bernie, Biden, and Trump. Interesting dichotomy. We'll go and take a look and I'll give you my opinions on that. And the segment will be strictly my opinion what I think. So feel free to join in. Come on with us. And I'd love to have your comments put up and we'll answer those as those go along. Again, for those out there in the podcast world who's not aware, this is going live on the View from Military Mind Facebook page, and it will be interactive. So join in when you get the chance. We'll announce them again when we do have our live sessions. We'll invite everybody to participate. That's View from Military Mind on Facebook. And you can write us at vfamm2020 at gmail.com. If you're ready, so am I. We'll get on started right after this break. Sterling, and I know what it's like to struggle with mental health issues. If you have a friend that's going through a tough time, now's the perfect moment to reach out. Learn how to start the conversation at seizetheawkward.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the Jed Foundation. All right. And our first segment today, we'll be talking about the all-male draft system and what the appeals courts are taking a look at at this point in time. A little background on this. Uh, last year, a group called the National Coalition for Men had uh, brought a lawsuit to the uh, Fifth Court of Appeals, and the Texas-based federal judge ruled that it is not constitutional at that time. Uh, here it's coming up again, and... This is in the appeals court that is coming up. Of course, the government appealed it, uh, leading up to Tuesday's hearing before a three-judge panel of the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And this is out of New Orleans. Uh, the case is one of three being argued before the panel at Tulane University Law School in New Orleans. Uh, the, court, the court holds hearings at Tulane once a year. The United States government stopped drafting young men to the military in 1973, but every male must still register for the draft when he turns 18. The Supreme Court upheld the male-only draft in 1981 at a time when women were not eligible for combat roles. Women became eligible in 2015, and U.S. District Judge Gray Miller 
decided to change in his ruling last year uh, to, to declare that it was unconstitutional. Uh, it's not clear when the appeals court panel will rule. Uh, the hearing takes place about three weeks before a federal commission is scheduled to release a final report and recommendations on the draft. And whether women should be required to register and whether other ch changes are needed. Um, the commission's chairman, former Republican U.S. Representative Joe Heck of Nevada, has publicly supported requiring women to register for the draft. And the commission's been following this case as it progresses, um, making uh, their work all the more relevant and important. Heck said in a statement emailed uh, Monday. Uh, the commission is scheduled to release this report on March 25th. And here at View from the Military Mind, we'll be keeping track of that since we are military personnel, veterans, uh, a large gathering. We'll be keeping track to see how this comes out. There's a lot of feelings out there among veterans and military personnel about drafting uh, women, women being involved in combat uh, operations. So we won't get into those on this show. One day if uh, my viewing or my listening group out there would like to, we'll get into that and see what everybody's uh, feelings on that particular is. But as far as the appeal court, um, you know, it goes on to say that the federal appeals court remains torn on whether or not an all-male military draft is unconstitutional. They're citing a decades-old Supreme Court ruling that formally upheld a similar draft registration rule that was constitutional. Uh, three members of the, U the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals said in 1981 a previous Supreme Court ruling upheld the male-only draft registration system. All right. Mark Angelucci, a, an attorney for the National Coalition for Men, which brought forth the lawsuit in an attempt to raise awareness about the way sex discrimination affects men and boys, pointed out that the lawsuit predates women being allowed to participate in combat roles. Angelucci also added that the lower courts are not bound to outdated precedents because the circumstances have changed significantly. Uh, U.S. Justice Department lawyer Claire Murray disagreed, arguing that the lower courts cannot overrule the Supreme Court and pointed out that Congress, which oversees a military draft process, hasn't mandated that women register. Uh, Murray also pointed out that Congress has additional considerations when deciding if a female draft should be mandated taking into account the need for equipment and facilities women drafted in, in equal numbers to men. In 2015, the Pentagon announced all combat roles would be open to women. The U.S. hasn't had a military draft since 1973 during the Vietnam War. Under current law, women can volunteer to serve in the military, but aren't required to register. All adult men must register within 30 days of the 18th birthday, or risk losing eligibility for student aid, job training, and government jobs if they fail to comply. A federal judge in Texas ruled that the all-male military draft is unconstitutional in 2019, just last year. But a federal commission is scheduled to release a final report and recommendations on the draft. The commission's decision will include whether women should be required to register. And again, it talks about Representative Joe Heck of the uh, formerly of uh, Nevada, as, of course, a public supporter requiring the registration of women. So we'll see how it goes on Tuesday. And uh, you from Military Mind will pick up on it and give you what their decision is. Um, in my point of view, if young ladies out there want to participate in combat arms, 
they want to support their country, I think they should be required to also ribbon for the draft, just like men do. This is their country just as much. They want equal time, they want equal pay, they want equal, uh, equal access and equal treatment. And by all means, if that's what you want, registering for the draft goes along with it. We have to register, you should also. Several other countries have already got uh, mandatory service requirements that covers both men and women. Israel is a prime example. Both their men and women serve a two-year term. There's no reason why the United States can't do that. So that's my point of view on that. Everybody out there has them. You're more than welcome to it. And I'd love to have you point, give your views to me. Send them to me at vfamm2020 at gmail.com. That's my email address. They can post them over on the Facebook page for the military mind. Right now, I'd like to, to welcome Paul Havlicek, and Lowell Spears, and Larry Stipe, and Fred Maxey, and Kelly Ann Thrash. Glad you're all, all on board watching. Uh, and like I said, this is a, a once a month thing. It's a unique thing where I'm live on Facebook recording my podcast. So bear with me, and we'll get into the next segment. What do you see in a parade? You see children with their flags, families clapping and laughing. What do you see when he walks by? Do you see his struggle, his path, his fight? Do you see him? When he walks, he walks alone. When he stands, he stands by himself. But he stands knowing the force of the VFW, America's largest organization of combat veterans, has his back. We are the VFW, and no one does more for veterans. All right, moving on to our next segment, segment two, we're going to talk about Super Tuesday. Was it so super? Well, according to what is being said by one particular person, uh, part of the squad, the uh, Democrats, our, our fine little Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, she claims that Biden overperformed Super Tuesday because his campaign faced low expectations. Okay. Um, we'll figure that one out here. Uh, she had said uh, earlier this morning, it came out in uh, on Fox News, that Joe Biden had overperformed in this week's Super Tuesday primaries because he faced low expectations going into the contest. A key surrogate for Biden's chief rival for the Democratic presidential nomination said this week, U.S. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, D. New York, who backed Senator Bernie Sanders for president, made the comments in an interview Wednesday with CNN's Chris Como. The congressman said the Sanders camp wanted to be good sportsmen about Biden's strong day at the polls, but she claimed the former vice president's recent wins represented a moment, not a movement. Uh, Sanders' team was left reeling this week after Biden pulled off wins in 10 states, um, including Massachusetts, Minnesota, and Texas, where Sanders was expected to do well. Sanders, meanwhile, won his home state of Vermont, as well as Colorado, Utah, and delegate Rich Prize of California. 
uh, by the victories followed a landslide South Carolina win on February 29th and subsequent withdrawals from the race by Senator, by Senator Amy Klobuchar, D. Minnesota, and former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, each of whom endorsed Biden before Tuesday's elections. Uh, for the folks who are making that decision in the 72 hours before Super Tuesday, where you have these dramatic developments, that is compelling, but that is an event. It is a moment. It is not necessarily a movement, uh, Cassia Cortez told Como. In contrast, she claims Sanders has been building a real movement for years, arguing his strong support among Latinos will put critical states in play in November's general election if Sanders ultimately wins the party's nomination this summer. Prior to Super Tuesday, Biden had yet to win a state race, finishing fourth in Iowa, fifth in New Hampshire, and second in Nevada. Como pushed back against Ocasio-Cortez's observations, however, noting that voters didn't show up for Sanders on Tuesday. So the young people who you are promising to the party that you can bring in didn't come in anywhere, he told her. How do you explain that with any optimism? After Super Tuesday exit polls, Showed Sanders continued to struggle with African American support, and that voter turnout among those under 30 was down in most states. The senator admitted he was disappointed with the data. Turnout among young voters didn't exceed 20% in any state Tuesday, and closer to 10% in several NPRs reported. Ocasio Cortez suggested to Como that the percentage of young voters in California, which Sanders won by a lot, might have been higher, but NPR wrote it reported that voters under 30 met up only 11% of the turnout there. Como said that while Sanders' campaign wanted to win around 60% of Super Tuesday delegates in any receipt, delegates, it may receive closer to 40-45, depending on California. By Friday evening, Biden had 664 delegates to Sanders' 573, not including some Super Tuesday delegates still to be allocated, according to Associated Press. We, well, we can't get too greedy sometimes, Ocasio-Cortez laughed. It's a greedy business, Como answered. You need everything you can get because you're at a disadvantage going into the convention. The breadth of Biden's wins took win Tuesday that went from deep south, New England, to the Midwest, and Texas stunned politicos, especially given that he defeated Sanders in states where Biden ran no ads and hadn't visited a single time during the campaign. So Biden's out there, and he's kind of upset the uh, the Bernie Sanders camp, which, from my viewpoint, is, is a really interesting situation. I'm kind of torn on this whole situation here. I do not support socialism whatsoever, um, but I also don't support political parties undermining candidates when they're trying their hardest. I give Bernie Sanders his kudos where it's deserved. He's he run a hard campaign. He's been out there. He's been everywhere. Hell, the man suffered a heart attack and still keeps rocking and rolling. Poor Biden. He can't remember what day it was. So, and we've heard that from President Trump, too. Of course, we don't have much on him for Super Tuesday because it's pretty much he's he's got his nomination is all I can say at this point. Um here in my home state of Alabama, where I'm at, we had one person on there running against President Trump, and I've never heard of the man until I saw the ballot. So that's the kind of things we've got going on the GOP side. But on the Democratic side being the big story, um, it's going to be an interesting run. So, no, it was not a super 
Tuesday for Bernie Sanders, but you can say it was a super Tuesday for Joe Biden. It's one of those where all we can do is hide and watch and see what happens. Um, I wish him the best for all of them. I'm not going to disparage any of them. Uh, they do some crazy things out there. Uh, I think Joe Biden needs to get his mental capacity uh, up to par so he can participate in this, uh, what I call a circus is actually what it is. And Bernie Sanders needs to back off on some of his socialist ilks that we've got going on. Um, he's not going to gain the support from the older Americans that are the primaries. Uh, they're the, the main holders of the keys right now. We fought for years against socialism. Um, a lot of veterans out there, we have been in these countries where socialism is at, where it has been, and we've seen the devastation caused by socialism. So, Bernie, you've got a big hill to climb there. And if I have my way, I'm going to dig that hill down. I, I don't need socialism in my country, no matter how you frame it or uh, how good you make it look. And you older vets with your, your kids that may be looking at this, going, oh, that sounds like a better way. Inform them, ed ed educate them, <clears throat> tell them how these things are. We don't need that in our country. And that's not what we were built on, and that's not what we need to go to. So, all right, enough on that one. A short little segment there. We're going to go into segment three on the coronavirus right after this short break. Podnews.net is a short newsletter every weekday with everything you need to know about podcasting and on demand. You can subscribe free at podnews.net for new podcast launches, company changes, stats, and no waffle. In fact, podnews.net is so waffle free it's really short, just like this promo. Right, Lead into this, I have to say, I was thoroughly amazed and baffled and surprised at some of the BS that I saw from these anti-vaxxers. Um, it doesn't, I don't know how to describe it. It really, really just blew my mind what I read. Um, a lot of these anti-vaxxers are against having vaccinations. We've all heard the, the main issues with it. Uh, they say that it causes autism and that it destroys the immune system and various other uh, stories. 90% of their stuff has been debunked, debunked by both the medical community, the scientific community, and, and people in general that have dealt with it. I mean, for years... We have gotten vaccinations, and yes, there are any medical procedures not perfect, whether it be a vaccination, uh, surgical procedure, anything. But vaccines are one of the safest things, and they have eliminated major diseases across the board in our country, and especially in the United States. Um, this one nutcase they've got, and, and that's the only thing that I can call him, is a doctor out of uh, out of England that is a big pusher um, of the anti-vax uh, movement, if you want to call it that. Uh, and he was pushing the, uh, he was pushing the autism case, so that the, the vaccines, especially MMR, uh, 
multiple decisions with Belovex and causes autism. And, and the studies that were out, and he published this paper in The Lancet, and they kind of went with it because he was, at that time, a respected doctor. And then they got to looking into it and doing investigations and discovered his, his paper was actually full of BS. Uh, he had cited uh, tests and things like that that were not proper, uh, weren't done properly. Now, a lot the as they point out in some of these papers, the World Health Organization, the CDC, uh, various things like that, they pointed out that, yes, there are issues where things like that happen. Not necessarily because it was predisposed in their health, but because their body just reacted. Uh, sometimes you can't help that. Uh, it does happen. But it is such a minuscule um, number across the board, across the, the uh, population, like one in one million have a reaction to the vaccines and has a serious reaction. Now, everybody has some kind of reaction. You get a little red spot there on your arm. Um, you might have a little bit of a fever. Uh, folks, we go through that with a flu vaccine uh, because it, it's actually trying to activate your uh, immune system. But those are minor, and they're all, they are reactions, but they're very, very minor compared to the benefits of how a vaccine comes about, or how, how a vaccine works. Um, now, these they're pushing that uh, now it's supposed to be a, with this coronavirus, when the vaccine comes out for it, they're saying it's another way for the government to control them and to track them and to force them into... Um, a, a zombie-like state, so they can be controlled by the by the governments of, of these different countries. This is how crazy this has gotten with this anti-vaxxer uh, movement. Um, and I'm sure you can look this up anywhere. It's all over um, the internet. You can find both true and false stories on there. Um, they point out about 17 different Facebook pages that are um, supported by an anti-vaxxer movement, and they are so full of all kinds of disparities. They're talking about um, bleach treatments, and they're talking about high, extremely high doses of uh, vitamin C. Some of the doses are so high, they're actually bitter. And this is the kind of thing these people are putting out. So it's dangerous, but they are pushing back real hard on the vaccines for the coronavirus, excuse me, the coronavirus, and because they, they think it's going to be government controlled. They don't want to be told what to do. Great, I understand that. But sometimes you've got to use common sense and think about what's good for my kids. Um, there's a hashtag out there, Doctors Speak Up, on Twitter, and this has been hijacked by the anti vaccine movement. And it's in. They're, the doctors are doing their best to try to combat this misinformation that's going out across this Twitter. Um, I don't use Twitter that much. I'm really not a whole lot to do with it. <clears throat> but it says, um, I'll go into a story here that, uh, that has come out about it. And it's rather uh, informative. It's come out of Newsweek. Uh, 
yesterday. Says the hashtag doctors speak up is trending on Twitter because anti-vaxxers have hijacked the hashtag started by doctors. Dr. Zubin Damania, who creates online content under the name ZDogMD, started the hashtag doctors speak up movement to speak out against anti-vaxxers who share misinformation online. The movement is inspired by the backlash and death threats that Dr. Nicole Baldwin received after her TikTok video about vaccines went viral. And I watched this video, and she's actually pointing out all the vaccines through our life and uh, these kids' lives that have done good. Um, it, it's really a good, really good video, and it, it appeals to the younger generation. But these anti-vaxxers didn't like it. Uh, they, they, she actually received death threats over this. So Dr. Demanian wrote on Facebook, Dr. Nicole Baldwin, a pediatrician who dared to support vaccination on TikTok, through a coordinated attack from the anti-vaccine cult, including death threats. Here's why we all should be fighting back with her. <clears throat> hashtag doctors speak up. But the anti-vaccine movement hijacked the hashtag <clears throat> and shared a poster telling its followers to disrupt the doctors by tweeting questions, including when will hashtag doctors speak up that vaccines harm and kill children? And why don't Hashtag doctors speak up that vaccines harm many of their patients. And these are the kind of attacks these people are putting out there. Um, the poster also claims that the hashtag was started by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Although it was started by Dr. Demania, who is not affiliated with the AAP, the anti-vaccine movement is using the hashtag to tweet at the AAP and its local branches asking them the questions recommending the poster. In the poster. Uh, speaking to Newsweek, Dr. Demania said of the hijacking, it's an act of desperation on their part because they're ne they've never seen physicians and healthcare professionals so united. It works to our advantage because it makes it easier to identify and block anti-vaccine cult members on Twitter and other social media channels, effectively reducing their reach. Um, he goes on to state that we combat misinformation spread by the anti-vaccine, anti-science cult by speaking out, educating, and focusing our efforts on those who have questions but haven't been radicalized by the misinformation online. We ignore, block, don't engage with clear anti-vax cult measures, effectively deplatforming them. Um, Dr. Baldwin shared the anti-vaccine movement's poster and said, this photo is how the anti-vax community operates. <clears throat> Fact check, Dr. Speak Up was started by Dr. Zubadamania, who is neither a pediatrician or a member of the American Pediatrics. Be aware, anti-vaxxers don't like the hashtag med Twitter standing together and speaking up. Uh, it is really crazy. Um, I compare them to Greenpeace and PETA and uh, Antifa, things of this nature. To me, they're Hezbollah, uh, even if you want to go that far. They're just as deadly in a passive way, um, trying to convince people not to get their kids vaccinated. Now, do I expect people to go in there and get every vaccine under the sun? No. Use common sense. Go in and talk to your doctor, uh, see what's going to go, check and make sure your kids aren't. You know, do, they'll do the best they can to make sure your kids aren't going to react to this. But don't buy into this anti-vaxxer um, malarkey that they're putting out there. It's really not good. Um, it's been proven over 
decades vaccines work. I did find out this anti-vax movement has been going on for almost 200 years since the first vaccines were ever discovered. And they have been doing the same thing, only had it's gotten so much worse and so much more vile and violent um, in the past decade or so because of social media. Social media's got its good points. Unfortunately, groups like this use those good points to do bad things. So look into this stuff, get yourself educated, understand what's going on with it. If you don't like like vaccines, that's your choice, but do it from an educated standpoint. Don't just blindly follow some of these nutcases that are out there. Uh, there's even one guy I went to his Facebook page just to see what he was about. Now, he has no medical qualifications. He has no no advanced education other than high school and I guess it's going to college. And he just goes with information that he finds wherever and puts it out there to fight vaccines. So I encourage people, be informed, be educated, make your decisions the right way. Don't follow the nut jobs and the cults and the BS that's going on there. All right, well, when we come back, we'll get into segment four, which is going to be primarily my opinion about the, the Bernie Biden and Trump conglomeration out there. So hang tight with me. We'll be right, right back. On the battlefield, there's a saying America's military men and women live by. Never leave a fallen warrior behind, ever. Off the battlefield, Wounded Warrior Project operates with the same goal. We leave no warrior behind. Wounded Warrior Project is a nonprofit organization created to help our men and women returning home with the scars of war. Whether those scars are physical or mental, we're here to make sure that they heal. And whether it's helping those with post-traumatic stress disorder live a normal life again, or giving much needed support to injured warriors and veterans hospitals, because no one deserves our help more than the men and women who risk their lives to keep us safe. Wounded Warrior Project. We never leave a fallen warrior behind. Ever. Learn more about what we do at WoundedWarriorProject.org. If y'all haven't figured out, all my uh, ads I put in here are PSAs. They are. They're done for free. I do not charge anybody for them. Um... If you have a group out there, whether it be veterans or suicide prevention or any nonprofit organization that you would like to have them showcased on my show and have an ad run, by all means, send that to me at vfamm2020 at gmail.com, and we'll get them on the show. We'll give them a spot and run them for several times. Um, I love doing the free stuff for, for uh, the organizations and making sure that they have a voice out there, too. Um, these are big organizations. Uh, I belong to the VFW and the American Legion. I do support Home for Heroes. So, of course, I'm going to put those out there. Um, a couple more folks have uh, joined me up here on the on the show. Uh, Fred Maxey, a good friend, a wonderful brother out of Gary, Indiana. I went to school with him. Welcome, Fred. I'm glad you're here with me. Thank you for the, the kudos, brother. Um, Carol, my wife, has joined me from wherever she's running around in town. Chuck Lawther, David Wheat, welcome aboard, gentlemen. It's been a long time since I've seen you. Uh, good to see you up on here. 
Uh, my cousin Teresa has joined us on board. Great. I love seeing it. Um, but yeah, if you have a, a nonprofit you want to advertise on here, send it to me. Uh, Fred, shoot me an email. Give me for the uh, multiple sclerosis page. And if you have a business, you know, of course, I do charge businesses because that's it's money. Uh, if you have a business you'd like to have on there, uh, give, shoot me an email. Uh, we'll get some conversations going offline, and we'll get that set for you, too. All right. Now, we'll get into the, the, the Bernie, Biden, and Trump dichotomy. Um, of course, as we know, there's uh, here in the past few days, especially since Super Tuesday, there's been a lot of questions about Joe Biden's mental health. Uh, been a lot of off-the-wall comments about it. Uh, we see things that are going out there, going on with Joe, uh, Vice President Biden. I'll, I'll be proper here. Now, this segment is basically my opinion about the three candidates in the lead presidential election. The self-proclaimed socialist Bernie Sanders running as a Democrat, the absent-minded career politician Joe Biden, and the brash, egocentric real estate mogul turned politician and now president Donald Trump. Now, we as Americans are faced with a rather unusual election cycle. The choices we have are extremely diverse and have already proven to be divisive. A lot of the divisiveness that I see and is promoted is either false or exaggerated to the extreme. Our mainstream media outlets, both left and right, have specific agendas to promote, and in this day and age, it does not coincide with the will and wishes of the average American citizen. It is usually an agenda sought by the corporations that own the media outlets or the handlers of the candidates that have promoted the agenda. That aside, the individual candidates have not lent themselves to promoting the will of their constituents either. They have told you what you want. Does it really sync with your beliefs and needs? Or are you so enamored with the celebrity and the fight that you are willing to let them make serious national decisions that are not in your best interest? Are you willing to let go? Are you willing to let them go ahead with their hidden, actually in plain sight, causes? Let's look at each candidate, each leading candidate and what they stand for publicly and privately. Let's educate ourselves purposefully about each candidate, not just what they spew on social media or the most current rally. That is, by the way, broadcast by the mainstream media. Don't take just the sound bites you hear on the TV and accept that as the gospel. That can be spun to whatever that particular media outlet needs to be. Look for and listen to the entire in-context statement. Bernie, Joe, and Donald will continue to snipe and demean each other, trying to prove that they are the better candidate to lead our country. Don't get, get caught up in all the childish antics. Those are distractions from the bigger picture. They will make outlandish accusations to each other and leave us wondering if it's even worth the time. It is worth the time, especially if you ignore the antics and educate yourself of the facts and policies of each candidate. Then you can make an educated decision. On our Facebook page, we insist that if you make an accusation or a disparaging remark about a candidate, and it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Biden or Sanders or Trump or Klobuchar or Warren, or it, it doesn't matter who it is. 
if you make a disparaging remark about that candidate, you must be able to back it up with facts and truthful evidence. Be able to defend your remarks and position. Maybe it's about time we did the same with our politicians. On this show, that's the kind of thing I try to get into. I try to research everything I can. I try not to promote the BS that's going out there. Now, I've said to the show today that I'm concerned about the social antics of the, the socialistic antics of Bernie Sanders, and I am. And that is a fact. He's claimed himself he is a socialist. Some of his things that he does is socialist based. All right. I'm concerned about the health of Joe Biden. Uh, he has made some major gaps that everybody, even his own party, is seeing now. My, be my best recommendation is, Joe, get yourself checked out. We make our veterans get ourselves checked out for mental abilities, mental capacities, injuries, things of that nature. Why don't we make our politicians do the same thing? Mr. President, Donald Trump, somebody take the Twitter account away from him. Okay. I love the fact that he speaks his mind. He does what he wants to do. A lot of times he interacts the same way me and you do when we're sitting across the table or we're sitting across and having a beer somewhere. We all talk the same way. But as the president, you need to temper that with proper etiquette. So... Hopefully one of his handlers one of these days will reach up there, snatch the phone out of his hand and say, stop. You're not necessarily being untruthful, but a lot of times the things he spits out there is over-exaggerated, and he jumps before he has all the facts. A prime example is the TBI. Everybody busted his behind about spewing out what the level of TBI was from the rocket attack in Iraq. And it's like I put it out in my show just a few days later, not all that information comes out. So he jumped the gun before he had everything in his hands to give a proper response. So please, Mr. President, I ask, think before you leave. Make sure you have all the information you need. And Godspeed. That, that's it for my, my little spiel there at the end, my opinion. And in closing, I uh, want to give a little uh, this day in history, and I'm gonna I'm gonna thank my my lovely wife Carol uh, for bringing this to my attention. On this day, on March 7, 1945, the leading tanks of the U.S. Third Corps, part of the U.S. First Army, reached the Rhine River opposite Remagen, and they found that the Ludendorff Bridge there damaged but still standing. Troops are immediately rushed across, and a bridgehead was firmly established during that day. And we know that today is the, the bridge of Remagen, the bridgehead of Remagen. Other elements of the first of the U.S. First Army complete the capture of Cologne. Units, units of the U.S. 12th Corps from the U.S. Third Army continue to advance rapidly. Now that gives us a little segue into our uh, unit of the day, and. Our unit of the day today is the U.S. First Army. Uh, the first United States Army was activated in France on August 10th of 1918 under the command of General John J. Pershing as America's first numbered army. First Army engaged in two major operations. 
the reduction of the St. Mahal salient east of Verdun and the great Meuse-Argonne offensive west of Verdun. After World War I ended and after a short period of occupation in Europe, First Army was deactivated in 1919 and then reactivated at Fort Jay, New York in 1933. First Army's new mission of training and readiness matched today's mission. On D-Day, June 6, 1944, with General Omar Bradley commanding, First Army's troops landed on Omaha and Utah beaches in Normandy. First Army established an oppressive record of first in World War II, including first on the beaches of Normandy and first into Paris. And of course, as we mentioned, uh, in 1945, securing the Remagen Bridgehead. So, after World War II, First Army headquarters was on Governor's Island in New York. On January 1, 1966, First and Second Armies merged and First Army headquarters moved to Fort George G. Meade, Maryland. In 1973, First Army transitioned from an active Army organization to one dedicated to improving the readiness of the reserve components. Once again in 1983, reorganization took place. Second Army was reactivated at Fort Gilliam, Georgia, and assumed responsibility for reserve component matters in some states and two territories formerly belonging to First Army. In 1991, Fourth Army was deactivated, and its seven Midwestern states became part of First Army. In 1995, First Army left Fort Meade and was reorganized at Fort Gilliam, Georgia. And on January 16, 2006, First Army's mission expanded to include the training, readiness oversight, and mobilization for all Army Reserve and Army National Guard units within the continental United States and two U.S. territories. First Army assumed authority from Fifth Army, which was transformed into U.S. Army North, assuming nationwide responsibility for homeland security. Within its new role, First Army developed two subordinate multi-component headquarters, one division to support the eastern United States and the other to support the western United States. First Army Division West was activated at Fort Carson, Colorado, and today the headquarters is located at Fort Hood in Texas. First Army Division East was activated on March 7, 2007, and is headquartered at Fort Knox, Kentucky. First Army Division East was established by Department of the Army Order to provide training and readiness oversight mobilization operations for an area of responsibility spanning 27 states and territories east of the Mississippi. The division's mission is to provide trained and ready forces to combatant commanders for worldwide military operations. The multi-component division is comprised of nearly 6,000 active duty reserve component and National Guard soldiers and civilians. It's, the division is organized into eight brigades located throughout the eastern United States with 52 total battalions. Division East currently operates three mobilization training centers located at Camp Atterbury, Indiana, Camp Shelby, Mississippi, and Joint Base McGuire, Dix, Lakers, and New Jersey. For those of us that have deployed both recently and past, oh, let's say since 9-11, have enjoyed the wonderful organization of First Army. Uh, and I will leave it at that. So that's our unit of the day, First Army. They are a great unit. They have a hard job to do. They've got a lot of men to put through there. So I do have to give them credit. So my closing thoughts for the day and the show. We really need to pay attention and educate ourselves out there on the things that are going on in the world, in politics, 
in medicine. Um, everything that we come in in contact with, um, policies, policies that may affect our lives, our livelihood, uh, whether we're being drafted or considering having other people drafted, um, we have to be able to be informed. We don't want to follow people blindly. We have a lot of that going on now. And we've got to we've got to educate ourselves. And when we educate ourselves, we've got to educate our friends, our family, our kids. We need to get back to where where we were before. Where we actually learn things. We pass things down. Um, a lot of people call it tribal knowledge. That tribal knowledge is our history. That's how we make our country work. And eventually it gets written down. Sometimes it gets into law. Sometimes it gets into standards. But we need to keep ourselves educated. We've got to stop our country from being the lemmings over the cliff, following things that we know are not right. So with that, I appreciate everybody uh, coming on board, hanging with me for this this period, we've been on here for almost an hour. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you like what I've got out there, what I'm doing, if you see there's room for improvement, by all means, send me a, a message on Facebook. Send me an email at gfamm2020 at gmail.com. Uh, go to my Facebook page. I have a website. You can go by there, youthmilitarymind.com. Um, send me your comments. Uh, and again, if you like what you're seeing, tell me about it. Tell your friends about it. Um, this is what I enjoy doing. I try to make it as informative as possible. I try to be as, I'm not necessarily trying to make it centrist, but I'm going to give everybody equal time. I'm going to be respectful of both sides unless they screw it up. And it's like I told somebody last week and the week before. When it comes to our politics, I used to say, not my circus, not my monkeys. Eh, not so much anymore. This is our circus, our country. Those people we're looking at to put in office are our monkeys. Let's make sure we get the right monkey and the right, right ringleader in there to run this big circus. So until next week, I'll be strictly on a podcast to be released on Saturdays. Uh, somewhere around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Central Standard Time, I'll release the, the podcast. So, and once a month, we'll try to do this live where people can join us. Um, Brittany, welcome on board. Glad you joined up with us. And to all those I've already talked to and uh, called out and thanked, I thank you again for being here. You all have a great day. God bless you all. And God bless America. Have a good day. been a Valkyrie Productions podcast, copyright 2020, with your host, Terry Mills. Thank you for listening to our show, and we will see you on the next one. God bless, and have a good day.